The Word of God from Genesis 2, 1 through 3. It's on page 2 in your pew Bible. Thus says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work and that he, that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. And our New Testament scripture is from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And if you're in a pew Bible, that's on page 976. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, and once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. This is Labor Day weekend. It's appropriate that we take a moment and and reflect on work, on on the labor of our hands, our minds, our spirits. So talk to me about work. Um, what's good about the work you do? Okay, let's start with the negative side. <laughs> We do have a conflicted relationship with work. So, so what's a problem with the work you do? Takes time away from your family, okay? Drains your energy? Stress? I can't imagine that. Work's actually stressful. What else? The tedium, right, the repetitive nature of it. Um, go ahead. Others. Conflict with co-workers. Any others? So now that you've had a moment to think about what isn't good about work, what is good about the work you do? My coworkers. Your coworkers. 
You, you understand, there'll be an extra treat for you after worship. The feeling of accomplishment, right, satisfaction, eating, provides a livelihood, right? We want to live. The opportunity to help others through your work. Development of your self-esteem and, and identity, okay. Leadership. Talk a little bit more about that. You have an opportunity to lead. Yep. Provided by work. Any others? An opportunity to be creative. An opportunity to be creative. Good. On that note, we'll shift gears. So, did you know that you were designed for work? That a part of God's design for you from the foundation of the earth involved work. Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Our work is to be fruitful, positively productive, to multiply, to fill and subdue and exercise dominion over God's earth. The, the question is, who are we to multiply? Genesis 1.26, just before that, provides the answer. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness. Your work, your calling, is to multiply people in the image and after the likeness of God. Now, that gives shape, gives depth, um, to our filling of the earth, our subduing it, our exercising dominion over it. It defines our work. We are to act as trustees for God's managing his good creation and continuing to develop it for him. Now, this gains even more depth, more meaning, when we realize that God works. You heard Kathy read it. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his what? Work. And, and it repeats that three times in the passage. Three times. Three times it talks of God working. The act of creation was an act of work. Creation began formless and void, Genesis 1-2. And God filled it. And God delights in the work of his hands and pronounces it good so work is a fundamental and basic part of our nature, not only because we were created for a mission, but because it's part of God's nature and we were intended and designed to reflect God's nature to each other and to the world we hold in trust for him. The Hebrew word used here for work, the consonants of which are M-L-K-H, means ordinary, everyday work. In the beginning, God worked. Not only that, but God worked for the joy and pleasure work brought him. In Genesis 2, 8, 2, 21 and 22, in Psalm 65, 9 and 10, and 145, 14 and 15, it talks about God working 
to provide for the man he's created. He waters the ground. He cultivates it. He fashions a partner for the man. He gives food to all he has made and help to those who need it. Not only does God engage in work that is lowly and humble, what we would think of quite literally as manual labor, but he also does work that is intensely spiritual. John 14, 15 through 17, 25 through 27, chapter 15, 25 through 27, and 16, 8 through 15, talk about the work of the Holy Spirit whom God sends to convict the world of sin and judgment, to counsel and to guide us into truth, to comfort, to be our advocate, to change hearts and end the loneliness that sin creates. God does all of this work and the New Testament goes one step further. It says Jesus does as well. 5.17 of John's Gospel, Jesus says, My Father is always at His work to this very day and I too am working. The word subdue in Genesis 128 indicates that at the time of creation the world was made to need work. Now, we typically don't think of it that way, right? But understand, in the way the text read, the wor- reads, the world was finished and yet unfinished. There was development to do on God's behalf, and we were to be the developers. The work for which God created us and to which he calls us is such that we are to be a people who contribute to the flourishing of the world and those in it. We create civilization and society, not by exploiting the earth for ourselves, but by developing it for all. We do this mindful that we hold it in trust for God the Father. So let's be clear. We were designed for work. When it's going well, there's deep satisfaction and pride in fine craftsmanship. We joke about it at our house when... We're working on pruning things down off the project list, and I get something done. So we had a particular issue with a skunk who had taken up residence under the porch, so I rebuilt the porch and and skunk-proofed it. I built frames with heavy wire and screen wire and then set a footing underneath it so that the skunk couldn't take up residence again under the porch And we had a lot of days of Bill walking out on the porch and looking at the job I've done and then dragging Kathy out and saying, Ms. Rash, I don't know who your handyman is, but he does exceptionally fine work, right? When, when, When work goes well, there's a satisfaction and a pride and a fulfillment in it that can't be quantified. When our work is properly engaged and aligned with the Father's intent and purposes, it gives us a dignity that's beyond position, status, or pay. We're free to pursue work that's well-matched with our gifts or passions. We're free to seek greater opportunities for work when jobs are in short supply or the pay is meager. But we are also freed to endow work that is lowly with the love the grace, the care, and the joy of our Heavenly Father. I hope you caught it in the passages we read. There's a clear partnership 
indicated in the work. God places us in the garden to work it and keep it. There's a clear understanding that God created us to partner with him in his work in the world. So work is an absolutely crucial part of God's design for his children. And as such, we do large amounts of it without harm to ourselves. Yet even here, even here, with something that is central to our identity and mission, there are clear limits. Six days are allotted for us wherein work can be done. The seventh day is provided as a day of rest, a day to remember whose we are so that we can remember who we are. There are two slightly different accounts of the the need for Sabbath rest. Exodus, Exodus 15, couches Sabbath in creation. We remember and honor God as creator. We do this to remind ourselves that we are not God, but instead are God's. We remember to reestablish ourselves in trust before the Creator so that we can rest in His love and for a time let go of the responsibility and calling that He's set before us, which is large. Which is large. Deuteronomy locates Sabbath in Exodus, in deliverance from bondage. In all of this, God models for us... um, Something he doesn't need to remind us of our dependence upon him and his faithful love toward us. And and so in Deuteronomy, we observe and practice Sabbath to delight in our freedom from the tyranny of work without end. Tim Keller says it this way, that the commandments of God in the Bible are means of liberation. Because through them, God calls us to be what he built us to be. Work provides meaningful life. For us, but make no mistake, work isn't the meaning of life. Your life's meaning is to be found in God, which is why Jesus gave up all of his heavenly prerogatives and took on flesh, John 1.14. This is why he came to restore relationship with us, because relationship had been irrevocably breached by sin. John 3.16 and 17. He paid the price of that sin through his own body and blood, His very life sacrificed as an offering. He also came to begin the process of restoring the image of God in people who had cast it aside for a self-imaged life and a self-managed world. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Now, here's the problem. Although at best, work can be fulfilling, meaningful, a blessing, productive, and more, You heard it this morning, it doesn't stay that way. It can be frustrating, empty, a curse, a burden, and fruitless. Sometimes it's all of these at the same time. Now, mind you, I love the work I'm doing for the denomination because I get to help churches more effectively engage their neighborhoods with the gospel. I love the young pastors I'm privileged to mentor But there are times when even this work that I feel like I'm called to and equipped for drives me crazy, right? It drives me crazy when one of the churches I work for has an 800,000 endowment but doesn't want to spend out of the interest to buy a ream of paper for bulletins. They're so fearful about their future. It, It drives me crazy when a congregation wants to close down the food and clothing bank in their building 
because they don't want those people in our house. All of this happens because we live in a fallen world and all things have been warped by sin, but more fundamentally, because our desires and priorities have been dramatically affected by our rebellion against God. Sin no longer, um, so we no longer respond to our created nature the way God intended. I mean, often we work hard. We work well. But we work for the wrong reasons. We work to put work behind us because we don't want to work anymore. We work to find ourselves in work instead of finding ourselves in God. We work to discover validation and approval from a source that won't last. We work, we endure it because we have to live. We have to eat. We need housing. We need clothes. Genesis three seventeen through 20 captures the painful penalty wrought by our forebears' rebellion. Do you remember? Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all of your days. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. Even in the labor of multiplying, genetically multiplying ourselves, there's a cost. I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you'll bring forth children. Right? Everything has been scarred and twisted by sin, including work. But we were designed for work. When it's Properly engaged and aligned with the Father's intent and purposes, it gives us incredible dignity. It, it, it frees us to live in ways we wouldn't otherwise. That only happens when we walk closely with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Then knowing in Christ we've obtained everything for which others labor. Salvation, self-worth, identity, purpose, a clear conscience, an unmatched peace. We can work as an expression of our love for God and neighbors. Our work can be an offering, a sacrifice of incredible joy that frees us to live truly and fully in each moment. This morning we read a piece of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I want to challenge you to go home and reread Ephesians 3, 1 through 14. And Ephesians 4, 1 through 13. Paul, in Ephesians, helps us to remember how God has recast, rewritten, and reset our individual stories in and through Jesus Christ. But let me do a quick recap of all of it. This is what's happened to us as a result of the work of Jesus Christ. We've been blessed with every blessing. We were chosen before the world was formed. We've been adopted through Jesus Christ, who redeemed us at a terrible cost. We've been brought back to the family table, robed, ringed, and sandaled, right? We've been sealed in that inheritance with the gift of God's presence, power, and purpose, the Holy Spirit. We were dead, but now we are alive. You have been raised up and seated with Christ so that you can have position and authority In your work. You've been saved by grace as a gift because you're passionately loved 
even when you were completely unlovable. And you need to hear it from me this morning. At some point in your life, every single one of you was there. You were completely unlovable, right? And yet, God, out of His great mercy, loved you. The capstone of all this is, if you're in Jesus Christ, you are God's workmanship. Did you hear it when Alex read that? The Greek word for workmanship is poema. It means, quite literally, works of art. It echoes the creation story in which the first five and a half days of creation are declared good and the chief creation of the sixth day, humankind, is declared very good. You are God's work of art. And as works of art, you have a purpose. You are created for good works. The sense of this is that you are a work of art created to create works of art in your life through your life. Your work is going to display something of the image and likeness of God. The bonus is that God already created these good works, these works of art for us to walk in. You are again what He made you. Right? A work of art created for good works, which God prepared to be your way of life. So it doesn't matter whether you're wired for creation, right? Whether, whether what fires your jets and winds your clock is, is making something new. Making something that's going to be a blessing to someone else. Or you're wired for maintenance. For tending the, the world, the created order that is. Right? For caring for it. For maintenancing it. It doesn't matter how you're wired What matters is how you go about engaging in the work that you do. Remembering always the work that is your vocation, your calling from God in Jesus Christ. To multiply people in the image of God after his likeness and to fill, subdue, and exercise dominion over the earth in ways that honor God and reflect Him. Now, I don't know about you, but but that's a calling that transforms the way I work. That, That transforms the way I think. That transforms the way I relate to others. That allows me to do what we've been talking about doing. Make room for that which is most important Abundant life in Jesus' name. So, as a result, Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Worthy here means having an equal weight like the balancing of scales. Hear me. That is, your daily life in its work and every other aspect must weigh as much as your high position as a member of Christ's family. Remember that list I just ran through that Paul gave us out of Ephesians? That that list of what God has done for us? God help us. How in the world can we possibly balance that? 
Paul reminds us that we've been empowered and equipped to do it through the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's presence with us. He further notes in 4.2 that the way we do it is with humility and gentleness. Because, after all, yours is only one chapter in the story. It's not the whole story. Paul says we're to live and work with patience. Because while you are again a work of art, this by God's grace, if we're going to be honest, we have to remember that there was a time when we weren't a work of art. We were a piece of work. And God has most assuredly been patient with us. Finally, we are to bear with one another in love, which means we display endurance and tolerance toward another's failures and frailties. Paul in Romans 2.4 says that God's kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. We do these four things to maintain the bond of peace in Christ that binds us together as we witness to the world about the Savior we need and the Lord we love. Why? To turn others from their sin. Now, here's the great danger we face as we work in the world, living radically new lives for Jesus Christ. We've been given far more than we can ask or imagine in Jesus Christ. You heard it earlier. The problem is, I, I can't speak for you, but I don't do well with that much grace. I struggle to fully take it in and live it out. Um, Kathy knows because she lives with me, right? A- after we were married, she humored me and let me use some of my collected stuff to build our house. It's a part frame, part dovetail notch, squared log cabin. We'd gone to the bank for a mortgage, but the approval process dragged on and on. The day before the logs, the tongue and groove decking, the windows, and more were to be delivered, we faced one small problem. We hadn't received the money from the bank. That next morning, I needed to hand a check for $24,000 to the driver of the truck the flatbed that was bringing all this stuff, or it went back to Tennessee. We passed the word around to friends, hoping that they could pray the bank into completing the loan process in a timely manner. At the end of the business day, there was no joy in Mudville, as the old baseball poem recounts, Bill and Kathy had struck out. There wasn't any money. The next morning, I received a call from Kathy's prayer group partner, Pookie Storm. She wanted to meet me at McDonald's at 41 and Interstate 64. I wasn't exactly in the mood for it because of what I had looming in front of me. The hard work that we had prepared for was not going to move to completion because this stuff was all going back. Okay? Pookie was insistent. And so I drove over, pulled into the parking lot, got out of my car, walked over to her car, and was dumbfounded when she handed me a personal check for $24,000. She assured me it was a loan until the bank finished their work. For me, it didn't matter, right? It was more than I could handle. My dad, who loves me dearer than life, wouldn't hand me a check for that amount of money. 
That wasn't where we lived. That wasn't how we functioned. And so I did what we do. I took Pookie into McDonald's. I grabbed the napkin. I wrote a promissory note for $24,000. I had a manager and a worker witness it. Pookie and I signed it. I simply couldn't live out of that much grace. I had to turn it back into a contract. My fear this morning is that having heard God's design intent for your life and my life, that we will fail to live out of that understanding, out of that knowledge. Knowing the size of the gift of grace given us in love through Jesus Christ, I'm afraid we'll recoil and did what I did, do what I did so many years ago, turn grace back into obligation, quid pro quo, a contract. Abraham Joshua Heschel had it right when he said, unless life is a form of worship, our worship has no life. Dorothy Sayers phrases it this way. She says, work isn't primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It's the medium in which we offer ourselves to God. So work can't simply be a contracted obligation, or it will undoubtedly in the end be frustrating, empty, a curse, a burden, and fruitless. Left our own desires, we'll seek to escape work, to escape in our work, or to find our validation and approval in work which ultimately will not satisfy us. Or we'll endure work simply to live. But work was intended to be a good and blessed thing. Apart from God, it will inevitably become a curse. The irony is, the Bible is a book inspired by God, written by workers, about workers, for workers. We need to spend more time in it. God sends the Holy Spirit to workers to empower them to inspire and transform their workplaces and world as they themselves are being transformed. God created you and me for work. A life-fulfilling, world-altering, and story-transforming mission. We were made to create men and women, boys and girls who image God. We were designed to display His glory as works of art. We were intended to be a people who, out of God's great gifting, new nature, and awesome power, then go and create works of art in the lives of others and the world. But not just any old art, mind you. Art that would glorify the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because it is after their likeness. We represent God to the world and we represent the gospel to the world. We do this to give voice to each person to praise God. And in this sense, everything we do is priestly work that mediates God's presence. In a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table. A workbench upon which our attitudes toward work can be remade. We will confess our sins. We'll receive God's forgiveness. In His hands, we will be lovingly and compassionately reshaped into the kinds of works of art that He intended to display His glory. 
at his feet, we'll remember all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we do this because we want to be tools fit for his using. Let it be so, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and ask it. And all God's people said, Amen. I want to invite you to take a moment to pray silently before you come to this table and acknowledge before God the mixed ways you respond to the work to which you've been entrusted, both the great calling He has given us in Jesus Christ and the work you do in the world to support your family. So bow before God, and let's make our confessions before Him. Heavenly Father, we confess before you this morning that too often we don't approach work as a gift from you, a part of your inherent design for us. We, we don't approach work from, from your intent and vision for us as we engage in your mission in the world. We confess to you that, that we come to work with a whole host of, of sinful motives that have nothing to do with you. And so we pray to you, Father, forgive us. And take our hearts, our minds, our spirits, and do what only you can do. Make them new so that we can joyfully, gratefully, marvelously engage the calling that you've set before us in our Lord and Savior. Father, we offer up before you this morning this bread and this wine, these humble things from your creation, the labor of our hands praying that as we partake, we might be remembered and made one. One heart, one mind, one spirit, one body and soul, so that we might live as one, one faith, one Lord, one baptism for your glory, a people forged into a tool to shape the world for your glory. And so, Father, pour out your Spirit now on us and do the work that only you can do 
so that something new can be by your grace. Pour your spirit out on us so that we might be empowered to live out of your great gifting in Jesus Christ. To look at ourselves not as pieces of work, but as works of art. To, to take to heart the incredible power and authority that you've given to us. The position in which you've set us to do your work in the world. All this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ who died that we might live. Amen. On the night of his arrest, as our Lord and Savior sat at table with the disciples, he did the simplest of things. He took the Passover bread. He blessed it. He broke it. Having offered it to God, he shared it with them saying, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and having given thanks to God, he blessed it and shared it with them, saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, the table of our Lord is set. The meal is before us. The Spirit awaits to do God's work in you. So come. Come, elders.